Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the World of Ink Network, founded in 2011 by Virginia Grenier and Marsha Cook. Their vision was to start a radio show that helped writers reach their dreams. The World of Ink has a wonderful group of hosts who are dedicated to delivering shows to entertain and inspire listeners. The World of Ink Network shares resources that introduce tips, products, and services to help strengthen, support, and challenge those who love writing and the written word. Their hope is to bring not only authors, illustrators, and publishers together, but screenwriters, directors, and producers. New to the network will be a variety of special shows, bringing not only entertaining shows, but informative discussions on timely subjects. To learn more about us, go to www.worldofinknetwork.com or visit us on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Thank you for your support and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. It's Marcia Cook, and it's A Good Story is a Good Story on World of Ink Network and Michigan Avenue Media. We have a great guest today, Jack Ramick, who I'm always quoting and talking about. And uh, so now it's just Jack and I on this show together, and so you're going to be able to hear some of the reading of his new work. And uh, his new book is called Citadel. And um, he he writes excellent, and he's very thorough. And when now he's just going to talk about a lot of different things that he thinks are important, which after talking to him, which we all know, that most of these things we all go through. So I'm going to just begin the show, and I'm also going to say one thing. Uh, I do have a show next Monday, and then I'm not sure we're doing shows in December. I have one scheduled, but we'll see, because it's the holiday season again, which is quite unbelievable. It's so fast. But I'm going to bring Jack out and... Um, We'll probably get through a lot of things that uh, you're all going to find really interesting. And each quip that uh, piece that Jack is going to read, he's got other comments to say. So, hi, Jack. How are you? Hi, doing, Marcia. I'm doing I'm, pretty well. Uh, just you and me. Are you under the weather this, back there in right. Chicago? Well, well, everybody. Yeah, I'm. I have an infection, like everybody else and their brother. But um, you know, it, it's not snow. So, but. It's, you know, we're all. Everybody in Chicago tries to stay tries to stay well, but it's hard to do that. You know, because everybody's walking around sick yeah. these days. And after you say hello to someone, you shake their hand and you say hi, and they go, "Oh, I am so sick." And so whatever they have comes to the next person. <laughs> oh, <boy>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> people do that all the time. They go, yeah. "Oh, I was home for like a whole week." And you go, "Like, oh, great, thank you very much." You know, and now you see all the. I, I worked for pediatricians for years, so now I see all the young mothers. Everybody, they're trying to get all the germs off. You know. They're putting the wipes on, and you know, yeah. it, you, you try to do it, but it's you know, even when you go to the doctor's office, they have them all over the place now wipes in the grocery stores. But bacteria is in the air, so we're yeah. all out in this. So, anyway, so hopefully, everybody will stay well. And we're going to talk now about writing, okay, Jack? You're okay. on whatever you want to all talk right. about. Do you want to talk about your new project first? I, I mean, we'll start with that and then go on. Yeah, the the new novel is called Citadel. I've been working on it for a few years. You, I've talked to you a couple times about the process that I use. You know, where I, before I start writing, I write this what I call writing about the writing, 
So I spend a lot of time um, going over the what I might be wanting to write about, finding objects that I might be interested yes. in, putting in, seeing what suggests itself to me. So I never approach it with a bold plan, except maybe this novel is going to be something like this. You know, right. for instance, Citadel actually started with an image of a woman in a motel in the desert holding a telephone. And Ooh. she, she just, I don't know why, but that's what came out. <laughs> right. And so I started looking at that and saying, well, what can I do with that? So I did eventually got to about, I don't know, 375 pages of, of novel. But to get the 375 pages of novel, because I spend a lot of time writing and writing about, I must have written, you know, 600, 700 pages of stuff. And I never wow, throw anything that's away. That's I, a lot. I, I, I don't yeah. throw it away, not because I think it's really good, but it just gives me a foundation. You know, like, okay, I've been there. I've done that. I've, I've worked through this process. So process to me is very, very important. When I worked with Bob Ray as a teaching at the University of Washington and in the screenwriting program, we had a sort of what we call three S's. The thing you want to do is first get the story, then look at the structure of the story, and then long towards the end, look at the style. In other words, words. The problem I see with a lot of young writers is they start out and they spend so much time looking at the language first off. Yeah. And, and yeah. They, they waste their time. Because the language at that stage, in the early stages, is really just a placeholder. If you start writing dialogue right away before you know who the characters are and what they've done, you're going to wind up with a mess. You know? But if you let the story develop itself first, get the story and then see how it fits together. I mean, you've written screenplays. You know that there has to be continuity yeah. and sequence. Yeah, definitely. You know? So when you, when you do a novel, if you, if you look at that, you, you realize you have to do the same thing. And I think that a really important concept in my writing, and I didn't pick this up till Bob Ray and I were teaching in the, the screenwriting department, is that film has really reprogrammed our minds in the way we think about story and fiction. And oh, if you right. don't think about action and image and scene, like you write your screenplays and you write in scenes, you know, a lot of young writers don't know what a scene is. They don't pay any attention. Well, I happen to have come out of the you know theater in the sense of doing a dissertation about the absurdist playwrights. So my whole concept of writing is based on scene. And if I if I work the scenes, then I I get all kinds of stuff going on. But if you start working language too soon, you get lost in those words, and you you realize all kinds of stuff that you don't you know doesn't make any difference until you get the story and then the structure. So Citadel is a sum. I've written now 17 books of different kinds, and Citadel is is kind of what I think as the most complex attempted. I talked to you years ago about Blood, which I thought yes. was a complex novel at that time. Uh, Citadel is really sort of a shining light out there. You know, in the center, is, the spotlight is on complexity, you know. But that doesn't mean that it's incomprehensible or difficult to, to get. I had several readers look at it before I have done anything with it. And they were abhorred by the violence that's in it. And you say, what kind of violence is this? It's a women's novel. Yeah, well, right. there are two novels, actually. There's an outer novel that's a relationship novel between the 
the author and the editor. And inside that, there is the inner novel that is called Citadel. And it is really about the history. And I'm going to state this as bluntly as I can. It's really about the history of violence against women and how women can deal with it by rejecting it. So when I was writing the blurbs for the novel, I said, okay, this is a meta metafictional apocalyptic novel about women, you know, rejecting the culture of rape and violence and to find safety within the walls of the citadel. Right. So Which what is I did very right timely away, now. You're, you're, I mean, everything that's going on, it's very timely what your topic is, you know, and oh, so Marcia, much about women. Marcia, it is brutal. Yeah, it is so brutal right now. I just can't see it. So I, you know, I say, you know, what if women controlled everything? Because the book is mm-hmm. really, or the novel is really about separating procreation from sex and desire. Okay. Now, a really interesting process has happened in the scientific world. Way back in the 60s or early 70s, a woman named Lynn Margulis, a bacteriologist, understood that the mitochondrion in the eukaryotic cell at one time was a free-living bacterium that came together with the eukaryotic cell and it becomes the energy source. That's how your maternal DNA passes on the mitochondrion. Well, another guy named Brian Sykes wrote a wonderful series of books. The latest one is called Adam's, no, Adam's, <laughs> Adam's Curse. And what he talks about, there is a possibility mm-hmm. of not only separating procreation from sex, but doing away with the Y chromosome altogether, which means doing away with males. So mm-hmm. I took that idea and said, wait a minute now. If, mm-hmm. if nature has found a way to strip the genes off of the Y chromosome, why not go ahead and build a novel around that notion? So women not only control their own destiny and their own lives, but they control procreation to the extent that they can choose, you know, and it's all about choice. It's all about the freedom of making the choices. And see, today there are accidental pregnancies. You know, in my Citadel, there are no accidental pregnancies. Women choose whether they want to have an offspring or not. But the kicker is in the novel that the scientist, who is uh, the author named Deva Izakaitis, she has found a way to push that to the limit. So she has something called intracytoplasmic nuclear injection, which is a takeoff on the current, what they call in vitro process, where you take intracytoplasmic sperm injection, you take a sperm and inject it into an egg. Well, she takes males completely out. Yeah, takes the males completely out of the equation. So anyway, I um, have spent a lot of time in the world of science, and it has shaped my head and my thinking. And it's not a scientific novel in the sense that, you know, a lot of writers go into the detail of science. What it is 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 a novel that uses science as a basis for the theoretical sociological structures that form the novel. <clears throat> okay, so that's the this foundation right. of Citadel. Well, this is quite right. You know, you you are an intense writer. I would call it that because your <laughs> writing deal. Well, I, I, you're not the average writer, and you know. So I mean, you really think all this out, and you put 
everything into a perspective. So this, it, you know, in this book, right. you, you know, this requires the years that you've probably put into this book. But over the years, you see how different things are, and yet the same in some ways, but there's a lot going on now with women. And so uh, oh, yeah. you want to read something yeah. right now that can see what you're, where you're coming from, or do you want to wait a little bit? Well, let me let me before I read anything, let me talk just a little bit about see there are three or four aspects to this novel. The first one is the the inner novel about the science of women separating, you know, from the male culture of violence and rape. The second is the is the study of the relationship of the author who is Deva to the editor who is Trisha. And then within that context, I have a lot of work in the story that's about what it means to be a writer. And so let me just read a little bit here. There's okay. quite a bit of work aimed at writers. In fact, there's a complete line that works off the technical side of writing a novel. On that line, I talk about plot tracks, the spine, the importance of object character development, the problem with walk-on characters, the relationship of the characters to the story, and the carry to the author. And in that line, you see a little bit of insight that comes one of the notes that Tricia, the editor, sends to the author, Deva. So here's the editor talking to the author about the process of writing a novel. Note to Deva, you have a tendency to include walk-ons that you abandon. This is not good. I had to name them. The deeper I get into this novel, the more I see how you are failing your characters. The writer has an obligation to the characters, which means that you don't want to have throwaway or shadow characters. Some writers work on the principle that you make every character strong enough to be the protagonist of your next story. You want depth. Shallow characters are a waste of your time and your reader's time as well. When you put words on paper, you have to live with the characters. You have to think that writing isn't only about words. You have to know about the spine and its link to metaphors. You have to think about the music under the words. You have to think about the rhythm in the words. A novel is a machine built on a spine or an armature, and every metaphor retells a piece of the story. You have to think about verbs and their actions, nouns and their concreteness. You might think that a novel is made up of chapters, but a chapter is only what you make it. So you see, a novel is not just 100,000 words in 26 chapters. A novel is a set of dynamic scenes laid out and arising from a spine that is the sum of its metaphors. A novel is always an imitation, the residue of a crippled vision. And that'll you know chew on, but that's the that's the nature of writing discussed by the editor to the author. What do you make of that? I, okay, this is what I this is a interesting how you, somebody was on the phone. I don't know if they want to talk or not, so I can we can get that in a minute. But if they want to ask you something, okay. but okay, when you say walk-ons, okay, all right, this happens to me a lot. Okay, so like when I I truly do believe that a good story sometimes. People just come out and, you know, they just happen because in life you could be walking down the street and all of a sudden somebody waves to you and you might start talking to them. So, and that wasn't the plan, but there they are just the same. So you're not going to not talk to them. You know, maybe you'll say, well, I'll see you some other time. But when, like, in my particular novel that I'm working on now, It's Never Too Late for Love, which I had taken from a screenplay, just the characters, the per- when someone comes in, then sometimes the editor you're working with might say, well, what do you need them for? 
and they say, well, like, exactly. okay, then we'll just get rid of them. But, and then sometimes I go, well, if you don't think the character belongs there, but then again, why don't they belong there? So you're saying that that's what does happen to authors, and they don't always have to be someone you're going to write a book about well, later. Okay, it's just somebody okay. they, like, met yeah. or came on the, into, on yeah. the stage, if it's a well, story, look, if it's look, a play. Look, Look at it in classical terms, Marcia. You know, in every novel that is worth its salt, there are fundamentally three characters, right? There's an antagonist, a protagonist, and a helper, right? I mean, that, that's it. That's the fundamental structure of Greek right. classical drama, you know? And so what we have to do is ask ourselves, how many characters are necessary and how many characters are you bringing on just to introduce one concept? You know, if that's the case, then you have to rethink the character and say, wait a minute, why is that character that I'm supposed to be giving this to deficient in that in that area? Why can't yeah. character A know that already? See, so what I'm saying is try not to have weak characters who just come on. I think E.M. Forster called them uh, uh, thin characters or what yeah. was the phrase that he used? Something like that, where they're just sort of cardboard well, you, you don't have time as a novelist to fool around with throwaway characters right. any more than you, you know, you, you, you just don't have time. But then again, so sometimes what the, writer the character has just to pops in. in. Right. It, it just comes well, in. Well, that's okay. See, if the character comes in, then you want to say, why? Why are you here? Start a dialogue with that character to find, <laughs> find say, out well, why, why he or she hey, is hey, in the story. what the hell are you doing in my story? Right. What are you here for? What are you doing in my novel? Uh, What you touch on there is the classic structure that breaks up the triadic structure, and that's the role of the intruder. Every good story, and you see it if you watch movies today, if you watch a stage play, if you you read a novel, you see two characters are talking, maybe three characters are talking, comes a knock on the door, a fourth character enters. The intruder changes the dynamic structure of that scene. Yeah, because sometimes somebody comes comes in and you're in the middle of a deep conversation and you really don't want them to know what that conversation is. So there they are, they just walked in. in. And then you go, why are you here? So you have to say, close, open the door, close the door and boot them out and say, let's go back to what we were talking about. No, there are many, many ways to deal with it. (laughs) Did you have a call from somebody who had a question? No, they're not here now. That's okay. That's right. It's okay. Okay. Sometimes people call if they can't okay. get in. It, and the chat room is open, so if somebody does want to go, if you scroll down on after the link, you can probably see the chat room. So okay, okay. It is open, well, one but the, I don't one know. Of the things that, remember, yeah. okay, I talked at the beginning you know, about story structure and style. You know, so when I was working with this novel, I realized that that woman on the bed in the motel in the desert with the phone was some sort of a central piece here. And I, what, what, who is she? What is she doing? So I wrote a whole bunch of stuff about her. Okay. And then what happens is she discovers this other novel that's been written by Davis. So I have two novels working. I have this out exterior, I call it the outer novel, the personal novel, the relationship novel that is sort of built around this inner novel, which is the story of, that David is telling. Now, the 
I want to read a piece. It's it's fairly long, a little bit over a page. Okay, uh, it's let me large just ask you a question. When when you say complex, you know, so do you think when a so for people maybe that are listening that maybe haven't written a book. So when you're thinking of a kid, all of a, you you have a plan, let's say, to write a book, and you're writing, let's say, a love story, and then all of a sudden somebody else comes in. Mm-hmm. So what do you? Tell the, I mean, as the writer, does the writer keep them in, or do they just say, oh, no, you don't belong here, or do they maybe try to find another place where that character will appear? Well, well what, what could then, the writer Marcia, do? When the, when, the, when the character appears, what you do is say, okay, give the character a name if the character has a name. Then right. back away from that character for a minute and do what I call the walk back through time. All right. You say, okay, five minutes before this character came into the story, he or she was doing this. An hour before he or she would walk back five, ten years, and pretty soon you'll have developed a character who is not just complex, but has a real personality who might be very important to the yeah. to the story that you're doing. But you must do that background work first. If you don't do the character building, you let me back up a minute. You would no more write a science fiction novel without spending a lot of time world building than you would fly. I mean, you would absolutely have to build the world around those yeah, characters, yeah, right? Yeah, now, right. the same reason you have is build the characters to see how they fit in the story. And if they don't fit into the story, then you develop this wonderful character who will probably be strong enough to be the protagonist of your next story. You okay. see, but yeah, give them yeah. the ink that they deserve. In other words, don't just let them enter and walk away. Bring them to life. Because yeah, years ago, because I think, because you write screenplays and I do too. Now, I think years ago people would say, you know, when and certainly when I would read screenplays when I was reading others, it, they would say, oh, character one, woman, girl one, girl two. And then a lot of times right. they would say if they have no name, just get rid of them because they should have yeah. a name because everybody, even the the grocery guy, that you're, you're ch- the checker, the waitress, the, anywhere you are, the nurse in the doctor's office, they have to have a name. Because that's really mm-hmm. important. If they're, you know, if you if you just say, oh, the woman. Sometimes it goes, well, who is this woman? See, that, it, that's in screenplays too. Yeah. I think because if you write character one, two, and three, you go like, well, what does that mean? Why don't they have a name? Well, Everybody uh, should have a name. Let me back in. Let me jump right on the middle of that, Marcia. What you're okay. doing, in a sense, is is writing about the choral character. Now, Greek drama, and I go back to Greek drama because my foundation is in Greek drama, classical mm-hmm. French theater, up to absurdist theater and, and beyond. What you see in every one of those plays at some point is a chorus of some yeah. kind. And what we have is this residual chorus without the function of the chorus. The function of the chorus was to comment on the action, to comment on the characters, right? So what happens is we use the choral character without giving them any purpose. That's a walk-on character, a throwaway character. If you name them, then they become important to the story, see? Right, yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a real interesting point that you bring up, and a lot of writers have to deal with that. You say name them. I say name them, too. In fact, in the inner novel, when Trish is, is writing to Dave about it, she says, you bring on these characters and you don't name them. I had to name them, you see. Right. All right. You're giving her, okay, you're now, giving her so, a lot of work to do. You're giving her the work to do. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but in the, so I have the outer relationship, which is the editor-author relationship. And in the inner novel, I have this history of violence against women. And I, I want to read this section because it really is pertinent 
to what is happening in the world today. All right. Yeah. And, you know, okay. this is a scene one from the inner novel, which is called Citadel. After the wars of religion, after the fire and the killing, the forest had regenerated and the plains had receded their grasses and on the plains bison grazed. There were no men to hunt them. The killing stopped. On my journey through the woods and prairies across the sand and the rocky detritus of earth upheavals, I came across the remains of battles and in their skeletal remains, the warriors were all alike. Their skulls the same, their broken backs the same, their fingers identical, their skeletons cleaned of meat were the same. I made my notes. I took measurements, although touching the remains of the dead filled me with sorrow. In the record, I located on the map the sites where the killing was most intense. I tallied the remains of the disarticulated victims, and among them I found the bones of women still in chains as they had been dragged behind the hordes marching in search of infidels. In the skeletons of the fallen women, I found remains of the unborn, and though hardened by what I knew and inured by what I had seen, I wept for them. In the old society, I would have wailed. I stayed for days at the battle sites to mourn the women and their unborn. I did not feel the need to mourn the killers. And on the 75th day of my journey, I stood on a hill overlooking a destroyed city of the plain burning in the hot afternoon sun. I saw the glinting of bones, the white shining of bones. A deep sadness overcame me. I knew this was the first citadel. On my map, I tagged it C1. I marched off the hill a day's walk to the glinting until I came to rest in the edge of a huge killing field. I saw metal that had not decayed and chariots that had not yet rotted and sown in the ground were bones. In that field, all terror, all fear of all time smothered the land like a choking cloud of desperation. Buried in the skull of the bodies were blades. Buried in the backs were blades of bodies fleeing so many. I worked the killing field for two days. I recalled the writings of the archaeo historians who said that in the plains where the bloodshed was greatest, the soil turned fertile, the grasses grew tall and thick. In the chaos of bones and metal, I found the skeletons of men and horses. Here and there, the residue of a wooden cross, a relic of a gold crescent, a double cross, a simple cross, a gold six-pointed star. Evidence that the unification of the dogmas were not a fiction. Though far in time from the killing, I imagined the thunder of war, the groans and quaking of annihilation. In that field, as I stood over chaos, I recall the sage saying, there will be no freedom for women until the last priest strangles the last politician with the entrails of the last lawyer and then slits his own throat. I cried at the loss of paradise because in the killing, our dreams had died. Wow. Wow. Now, that's intense. Right? Okay. Now, you, so you I see mean, what we is, have now. The unif- yeah. the unif- so what, what's your answer to that then? What, what's your answer to, like, you know, to bring this right to uh, some of the things that go on now? What we're seeing, you know, every second, I mean, probably as we're speaking, there's more, you know, women are just, it's been so tough for women over the years. And women, yeah. if they finally made yes. a lot of 
a lot of strife, but then all of a sudden, here we go, what's going on now, and look at all these women that had all these issues years ago, so where are we right now? I mean, that's the thing. Where do we yeah. go from here? Yeah. Okay, well, Marcia, I call in the novel, in the, in the, well, in the outer novel, I have to put it in the metaphor, I call that living in the niche. Okay. Right. Women in the West live in the niche. We can own property. They can, you know, have a job, go to get an education, uh, you know, do what they want, dress the way they want. At one point, Tricia says to her psychiatrist, she says, Rose, you know, in some places in the world, I could be killed for having my hair down. I could be right. killed yeah. for wearing a bikini. You see, so women are living in the niche. What women must do is doing exactly what they're doing now. Stand up and say, me too. Say yeah. no to the yeah. men. And every man who is complicit in this, you know, is to blame. It's, you know, he, he benefits from the horrid action of the violent men. Margaret Atwood, in one of her writings someplace, says, you know, men are afraid women will laugh at them. Women are afraid men will kill them. Yeah. Okay, now that sets up pretty pretty hard, you know. But it's a fact, you know. But Women it is are true. afraid. It is a very hard the... thing, and right, you know, and uh, it's a very difficult thing. And you know, and when you have children, how to explain this world to them is impossible. Like you know, because you you mm-hmm. you know you know Sarah Martinez who was on, and mm-hmm. uh, David Steinberg. Mm-hmm. We were talking about sexuality, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I asked when mm-hmm. is a good time to talk to children about this. So and. They were saying like mm-hmm. five years old, and you know, and it seems so mm-hmm. young, but they ha- that they were saying if they ask mm-hmm. questions, and you know, and then Sarah mm-hmm. was saying, you know, you sometimes they already mm-hmm. have started learning about certain things, and then you come in mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. you don't know how much they know, and you want, you know, and what they see now, I, I don't even know what to say. You know about I, that's I was actually was talking to a friend of mine. What do you tell? I mean, what do young? This is for young girls and young yeah. boys. They, yeah. This is difficult. And what you're writing about is yeah, really exactly. the, what has happened in the yeah. past. So, what what do you think about what can people do? This is a, such a conversation we've never had on TV and Twitter and <laughs> Facebook, and everybody's talking about it. Yeah. But the bare truth is, yeah. women have suffered for years. So, what do they do now? Well, so I think why did you have mean, to take you control. Mean, like the Citadel, is that their place, the Citadel? Well, there are there are no men in the Citadels, all right. Okay, so that's what Deva their... does in her novel, the, the in her novel, you see, she has three kinds of males. They call exos, e x o s. They have mutants, who are the men with the thirteenth gene mutated, which turned them into killer. And then they have the gland, which is the the male before the thirteenth gene mutated. All right. So she deals with it, you know, that way. It's going to be very difficult without separating from the culture. So the question in the book that I have raised is, are men and women on divergent evolutionary paths? The answer is probably. And the reason that is so is because males are still locked into a kind of paleolithic uh, mindset in which speed, size, and aggression are their main, their main attributes. Women, on the other hand, are looking for position, wealth, and power. 
Okay, so men and women are fundamentally at this point on divergent evolutionary paths. So when Brian Sykes and Adams Curse writes that the Y chromosome, which at one point had 500 genes, has been stripped down to 27, all the other functions are handled by the X chromosome, we're seeing the male beginning to fade. It may be that nature is actually working out the problem for us. Marcia. Now it'll take yeah, well, time. Well, so what, what I, well, what I do is give us a model of saying, okay, if you are going to be that way, we are going to withhold everything that we have. Turns out that in Citadel, the exos really don't have, I have a whole section about language. What happens to men when their mothers do not teach them language? They become, they speak in what she calls literal thingism. Give me that thing over there. Put that thing on your head. You know, they don't use now. They call it anomia. Well, let me let me kick back to the the story within. Now, this is in the outer story. One of the things that you will appreciate as a screen, as a film writer, as a script writer, is the nature of our writing as the possibility of making it move. You know, we waited several hundred thousand years for art to move. You know, the the paintings in the the caves, they sort of insinuate movement. But the move, the film was absolutely the freeing of all art from its captives, you know, staticness. So what I have in this novel is a screenwriter, a producer, a director who wants to film part of Citadel. And so she here is here. She is talking about what we're talking about, but also talking about film. Okay, so this is a filmmaker's view. Citadel. Deep in the character speaking is named Erica Blackbridge, and she is a filmmaker and actress and all kinds of stuff. Deep in that book, there's something I've been after for a long time but never found. Science, I said. Law. That's not about lawyers and courtrooms. Law, I said. The word felt like grit in my teeth. Yes, she said. The one thing men hate is a woman telling them what to do. Put a woman in a cop uniform and you've got trouble. Give a woman a gun and men go nuts. In Citadel, I see women controlling not just their own lives, but also saying no to the pissant demands of petty men with patterned baldness and hooked on Viagra. I see women refusing to get on their knees. This book is a revolution in the making, and I want to film it. I know craft when I see it, Clara, depth when I see it. Look at the big themes in this novel. What is a human? What is love? What is desire? Divergent evolution. I've wondered about that all my life. And, of course, the parthenogenetic future. There's this passion just burning its way to film. Without victims, there are no strong men. Women have been victims across time, but in this novel, they're saying no more. This writer, David Isokaitis, has written scenes that make you cry, but it's not the soapy, sappy, sentimental crying. It's deeper than that. It's kind of a universal sadness for the true condition and fate of women. The connection between violence and sex drive film right now. Rape neutralizes woman's role of choice. Every woman who's ever been raped will get her revenge wherever this film shows. I see that in this novel, and I want to film it. I can film it. Listening to her made me realize why I had wanted to publish Citadel. And the thing is, Erica knew exactly what she was doing to me. She went on. Imagine the society, she said, where all the law officers are women. In this women, 
in this novel, women aren't just the law. They are natural law. Choice made us. Choice will keep making us. And that is what this novel does. In this novel, Davis shows us how women, by having sons, are complicit in their own oppression. Every man is some woman's son, and every son is a soldier in the war on women. In this novel, we see the deep hurt women have suffered for millennia, and we see the cure for it. There's your answer. That's what I do. Okay. Well, all right. This is my I mean, question here. Okay. So, all right. So, if if there were all women, you know, um, I, I personally mm. would think would not like it because women are not always nice to other women, you know, and so mm-hmm. there'd be a whole crop of other problems when women face each other mm-hmm. as bosses, as partners, whatever, you know, because that's why you need men and women. But, you know, mm-hmm. and wh- mm-hmm. what audience are you looking for in your book? What kind of an audience? Women mistreat, okay, women mistreat other women because men mistreat them. Okay. If men were, you know, decent, and at one point in the novel, Tricia asks one of the characters, are there any decent men in the future? And she says, no, the pricks outnumber the good guys. <laughs> right. You see? And, you so know, the interesting part is that people would probably say, like, did a woman write this? <laughs> because, you know, you, you well, would but most see, that's, well. You know, my, I wrote Gabriella and the Widow. You know, I know that, and that's I why I always say, because yeah. you write women really well, you know, and you really understand mm-hmm. them. Good and bad of women, you know. So I mean, this—it's a concept, you know, of seeing what your audience would, you know, who would that be, you know, um, the way yeah. things are now. What do you well, think? Marcia, like right today, let's I say today. Write, I, I, I can't write for an audience. I have to write right. the idea. I have to write the story. I have to write the characters. Right. And if Which, if they happen to find an audience, great. Uh-huh. If they don't happen to find an audience, well, that's okay. The book is there. The work is there. The story yeah. is there. At one point, you know. So that's not a bad thing Deva, for people to know that you're right. That you and other writers can do the same. You're writing a yeah. book that you want to tell the story. And see, that's yes. the thing that stops some people because you you've written you're writing something that is very intense. Now, sometimes when writers are sitting mm-hmm. there going like, well, if I write this, it goes, oh, this one's not going to talk to me. This one's going to hate what I say. I'm going to have a lot of yeah. controversy, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so yeah. it takes strength of character to be able to just say what you said, that it's yeah. you're writing this book for the story, which a lot of authors yeah. do not do. So right. you have strong convictions. Yeah. Well, one of the things, Marsha, that I sometime after I heard Juno Diaz read, I went home and wrote a, an essay called Women and Their Writing Gods. And it occurred to me that people like Juno Diaz and Neil, I think it's Neil Kaiman, Damon, something like that. You know, what they're, the stories are interesting. Yeah, but really what they're doing is giving women a code to live by. They're saying, here, this is good. This is bad. You know, and women are saying they're they're finding uh, validation in that. See, right, they go, no, that's not. We'll do what we right. We will be more independent, and you know, which yeah, exactly. you know, like you know, and, and watching the news, listening to news, watching TV, watch. You know, there are a lot of women are in power now. You know, which we have not had, but. There's, it's still, it's just such a struggle out there, you know, I mean, on yeah. which way to go. And even even when, when you're writing a book, it's even more so because this is, your book 
will be out there long after we're out there. So, that, you know, what will people yeah. maybe say like 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, what they think? Like even when you watch like something like Peyton Place now, you look at Peyton Place and you go, oh, my God, they're burning books. Okay, in the library in Peyton Place. And then you go, oh, my God, they're burning books now. So I'm thinking like, so what does, you know what I mean? It's, you know, Peyton Place was a long time ago about things that are now right back at us. And it's weird to see that when you watch an old movie, you go, oh, my God, it's not really that old because what's coming back of some of the the things that we have done to make ourselves in power. Let me ask you this, Marcia. What is the fundamental unit of social structure and culture? Just biological, you know, uh, anthropological question. What's the fundamental unit? Everybody says it's the family, right? Well, what happens if you write a book that doesn't make that assumption? Citadel does not make that assumption. Right. If you take take procreation out of desire, what is a desire? What is a post-lesbian novel? What if I told you that I see Citadel as a post-lesbian novel? What the hell is a post-lesbian novel? Right. Well, that's yeah. a difficult yeah, question, you see. Right. But what, 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 does this, what does the structure look like if the family is not the basic unit? What if it's a different kind of relationship? What if you don't have to set it up as us and them, or the us and them that you set up is on a grander scale than one family against another? See, which, there, I which in this point, in question. this point in time, in this point in time, families are different. It's not the same yep. as it was, and which yep. is a good yep. thing because people can choose the partner that they want. And you know, at this point yep. now, we're you know the world is like shaky on that issue, which is a shame because. We are, not to get political, but the thing is we've moved so much ahead into a different world, but then when we go back and we're, like what you're saying now, you know, there's so much to think about, and sometimes we don't really want yeah, to well, think you've that got a fundamental, you've got a fundamental enigma or a paradox here. You, the family is the basic unit of social structure, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but Eugene O'Neill said, hell has no fury like a human family. So you've yeah. got that paradox. Most people do not like to go home for Thanksgiving because Uncle Bill stands up in front of the TV and moons the family. You know, I mean, <laughs> there are these awful things that happen in families, you see. So if well, family the is not right. the fundamental, no. what, do you, what does a society look like? That's what I have done in Citadel. I've tried right. to imagine a culture where those things that, do not, that, that happen because men oppress and beat and rape and murder women – you know the guy who just killed five school kids down in California? The latest news is that he first murdered his wife, tied her up and buried her in the house like that, and then went out yeah. to kill the children. Okay, it, now tell me, Marcia, you know, what woman is going to you know, stand up to a man like that you yeah. see, if she knows he's going? And what did Margaret Atwood say? Men are afraid women will laugh at them. Women are afraid men will kill them. No, I, I right, paraphrase you know, that. And, Right, so it's very screw. It's it's kind of a world now where it's you know well you know nobody needs you know nobody wants to say we're waiting for direction because we can't we have we have to just move on to a lot of things like and what you're saying and I you know but it is strange how the world is coming back to some things that we don't yeah. like. 
And that we yeah, thought, yeah. you know, such as even like the Holocaust, you know, things that w- were from the past and people go like, oh, my God, we're going in a way where we never thought we'd hear some of the remarks that we're hearing or any any of those things, you know. Uh, yeah. I have different shows on every subject. So, I mean, and right. like I always say, though, if you put a family at a table for like a dinner, yeah. Thanksgiving, whatever, you've yeah. got yourself one story. Because when you look around that yeah. table, there's a lot to be said of what's going on that they're not saying. <laughs> Even when they're just saying yeah. past the peas. You know, they're looking at yeah. you and then they're yeah. looking at somebody else and, you know, maybe thinking like, well, Maybe this one should have cooked the Thanksgiving dinner, not me. I'm tired of it, but they don't say that. Do you know what I mean? And so they're already yeah. sitting down, but they're already, even before they get in the door, sometimes people are going like, oh, when is this going to be over? You haven't even got there yet. You know? Yeah. So I think yeah. family is, well, is a me, tough thing, one of, too. One of the things that I talk about in this novel, or the char- I don't talk about it, the characters talk about it, yeah. is this thing I call the unification of the religions, of the dogmas. And Cavi, the character who read that going out into the field and seeing all that, she comes to, you know, she comes to this notion in the, in the, in the novel. She said, the upshot of all my work was a deep and lasting sorrow because I had seen the planet as it should have been. I had seen the sweeping fields of grasses. I had seen forests and rivers. I had seen the birds and their fledglings. I had seen animals drinking the coppery waters. All that had been good in the old society was eradicated by the religious dogma of go forth and multiply. Any opinion that ran against the revealed religious dogma was heretical, and the punishment for heresy was stoning. Therefore, I conclude my report with this. All religion shall be abolished for all time in all the citadels. Now, if you abolish religion... 90% 90% of the ill that we are suffering right now goes away. When they unified the religions, you get the men attack the women wearing these carapaces that make them look like insects. And on the carapace, there's a white cross, a red crescent, and a gold six-pointed star because all the revealed religions have been unified with one purpose in mind, to take away the freedom of women, to obliterate their choice, to send them back to being slaves. That's what religion has done to American women and women around the world. Now, that's within the novel, okay? Now, that doesn't – the author (laughs) – the author yeah, is not necessarily yeah. Sure. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Well, right. You know, it, well, I, yeah. Th- this is a very intense work that you're doing now. You know, this is yes, this is, is like it putting is. out all. Yeah, this is like laying all your cards out on the table here. It's like, oh, okay. I have no reason to hold back. You see, well, if right, people well, get okay, angry yeah, because a, I right, on religion, right. well, hell with them. I don't care. Yeah, yeah, well, no, see, that's the whole I'm thing, sorry. right, exactly, and that that is a whole thing. Everybody is, sometimes you're holding back too much, not you, but, I mean, people are holding back too much because they, mm-hmm. they don't know what to do anymore. I mean, I've, you know, if you right. listen to conversations right. of a lot of people, you know, people goes, I don't really know what to say, and that's what they say. Yeah. I don't know what to say, yeah. I don't know what yeah. to do, I don't know right. what will right. happen to this country, what will happen to the things that we love, what will happen to people we love. So, I mean, right now, this is these are a lot of questions that people are asking right now because they're scared yeah. too, yeah. and yeah. when when yeah. you're scared, bad things can happen too because you know you're not yeah. thinking. Oh if, yeah, you know, and so I yeah. think what you've, you sure. know, you've brought a lot of things in this book out there 
you know, is that yeah. oh my god, yeah. we don't we don't want any of that again. Ever. Ever ever. <laughs> well <laughs> one of the things that I keep running I keep running into is in in the novel is the, the word that keeps coming up as much as any is no more. The women saying no, no, yeah. no. Yeah. What happens when women say no? The men rape them anyway because men have this paleolithic residue of strength and other men say, oh, yeah, that's okay. You know, I'd rape her too. You know, well, we've got to yeah, get that, that right. mentality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have got to do something to men to make them realize they had mothers. At one point, Tricia says, did my mother orgasm the night I was conceived, or did she just lie there and take it? Yeah. Okay? I mean, these are big things. These are big, monstrous things that the culture is rebelling against, almost as though we're carrying, uh, you know, the Paleolithic residue is three, 400,000 years old, and we're living in a technology where we can actually control the sex of a fetus. We can control the wings of a butterfly. You know, the genomic possibilities are infinite, and we're still running around with clubs in our hands, beating the crap out of one another. And excuse yeah. me, I, I yeah. tend to rant. <laughs> no, no, no. Let me go well, on. One I, more right, thing. And people that are listening, I mean, they read your po- they read your post too on <laughs> Facebook. But a lot of people do because I think people are are frustrated, and you know, and like as you like nobody like the world that you're showing. We we hope we don't want. That we want a good, happy right. world, but can yeah. we have that? Yeah. that well, is she the says, question. she says, I had seen, I had seen the world the way it should be. You know, she said, I had yeah. seen it, I had saw, I had seen that. And what happens then? I cried at the loss of paradise because in the killing, our dreams had died. And what's well, happening in Philippines right now? Duterte, the dictator over there, is murdering people outside the courts. They call it extrajudicial killings. The, the Harambojo, you know, they kidnap 350 young women, take them into the cell, some, the, the, the savannah somewhere, rape them, get them pregnant, getting them, and then ship them back. In other words, I know. women have become objects. You know, they are nothing now. And what we can do for the women living in the niche is say, stand up and say no. Yeah, stand up and yeah. say no. It it is you know? it is really a very tough state of affairs right now. You know, in a lot of things because you see this on people's posts and social media because you know everybody you know it's it's really hope is the best thing we can have. I mean, hope in anything, mm-hmm. if in an illness, you know, once you start taking mm-hmm. away the the hope, this is not a good thing because mm-hmm. then everybody's morale drops. Yeah, but you can't have you can't have just sort of passive hope. No, you hope can't implies do action. Hope implies yeah. action. And we still have to deal with the fact that I have to make up the number. I don't remember statistics too well. But 50% of the white women in this country voted for Donald Trump. They are complicit in their own. What is, what is uh, uh, Trisha, what is, uh, uh, here she says, uh, yeah, in this novel, Deva shows us how women, by having sons, are complicit in their own oppression. Every man is some woman's son, and every son is a soldier in the war on women. In this novel, we see the deep hurt women have suffered for millennia, and we see the cure for it. And the cure is saying, no, separate. We do not need you. Nature is saying we don't yeah. need the Y chromosome. Let me go on. Yeah, go ahead. 
Okay. There's a as I as I work through the the, the story, Tricia, who is the editor, she changes the novel and she makes this whole thing about how as she changes the novel, the novel changes her, and as she changes the novel, she changes David, the author, and she has this whole interrelationship with the characters. At the end of the novel, as she finishes her editing job, she has this little passage that occurs. Uh, and it's sort of the writer talking to oneself. It's the ed- the editor talking to the author. It's the editor talking to herself. So this is three, the editor's relationship to the finished project. I return to room 11. Room 11 is in the Desert Rose Motel where she has done all of her work because she can think she can find the piece there. I return to room 11. I was tired, ready to change. I looked at the computer that glowed in the light of the bedside lamp, over. Always before, when it was over, I was happy, elated even, but this time it was not the same. I still had so many questions. I had a nostalgia for the abandoned pages. I had cut so many words. I had changed so much. Would Deva even recognize her novel? I was afraid of finishing. What if I hadn't done it right? What if there was more to do? What if I had been blind to the real story in the novel? Had I finished too soon? In thinking I was finished, I realized that I could never lead. I could only follow the words. An editor can never bring words into being. What if I was a fake who had given nothing to the novel but had drained its blood? Had I ripped out too much? What if I had gutted the meaning of the novel for the sake of one clear sentence? I had finished, but I had no idea of who I was. This was a new feeling, dread, horror, despair. My thoughts seemed to echo. I was alone, and then the words burst out in a cascade washing over me, and I was back in Citadel, and Citadel was in me. All the mistakes I had made, I saw it all again. The daughters, the bones, the dead, the outraged, the mutilated, the butchered. I saw the daughters vowing never to forgive men for the brutal things they had done to them. I saw every woman who had ever gone out alone with hope in her heart looking for her prince. No, it was not over. It would not be over as Cavi had written until the last lawyer strangled the last priest with the entrails of the last politician and then slit his own throat. The words stopped rushing through me, a strange and silent moment without words. I could not remember a time when they had left me. Memory opened up I recall reading Sappho's words at the instant she realized the goddesses had gone silent. Why have you abandoned me, she said. Lost in my silence in the light of the desert, I was no longer swimming in words, but I was walking in a sea of images. I saw a shining woman in the distant, clean, new, clear, delicate, but very, very real, turning as if on a revolving stage. And out of the nimbus surrounding the spinning woman, there came men, men wearing black armor like the carapaces of large black insects. On the breast of each carapace, there was the white cross, and on the white cross, a blazing red crescent, and over the cross and crescent shone a six-pointed gold star. The men carried stones and clubs, and they fell on the spinning, clear, clean, new, delicate woman with her clubs and stones. I vomited as if everything festering inside me spewed its way out. 
I shrank back, hands out to shield myself from the vision. And in the vision, there stood a thick, heavy, muscled man, much like the men from the beach I had lain with. He leered at me. He raised a stone, but I did not yield. I did not surrender. I snatched the stone and heaved it back at the man wearing the black carapace, and he fell. I had seen the future. I had seen the future, and the future was death. But who was I now? I had to go back to the city, back to all the rainbow silk of my past, and I had to throw it all away because none of what I had been was now me. I would go to the beach once more before I stripped away the last skin of the woman I had been before Citadel. I was going into the future that now was not just Deva, but mine as well. Wow. You know, (laughs) this is all really, you know, and the writing is like really great. But, you know, has it, but when you keep saying writer and the editor, so like now that you've written this, how has this changed mm-hmm. you and your views? Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I wanted well, to ask you that. Well, it, what, <laughs> you have to come I, out a different person you know, from writing know, this. Yeah. yeah, well, when I mentioned Juno Diaz, hearing him and, and Neil yeah. Gaiman or something like that, and then how women adore their writing gods, you know, I, I realized that, you know, I, what, what I want, I don't have a direction. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a seer. You know, I'm a, 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 a very... Only thing I can do is put the words out there and see if they have an effect, if it changes yeah. somebody as much as well, they I, I, I think it would have an effect. Your words are very powerful. There's no doubt. But I'm wondering, because you were writing, you know, for the editor, for the, you know, while you're writing the book, you're mm-hmm. in this. So it had to change mm-hmm. after the book because you've, you know, oh, come up absolutely. with some things that you probably well, didn't here's really what I know about think neurology about before. And neurology and biology. Okay, here, for example, there's a saying in, psych, in, in uh, structural linguistics and in generative grammar, especially transformational grammar, no two sentences ever are identical. And if I say, Marsha, repeat after me, I am going to the store, say it. Marsha repeated, repeat after me, I'm going to the store. I'm going to the store. Okay, now, they're the same words spoken in the same you know, way, mm-hmm. and yet the intention was totally different. I said it because right. that's what I was going to do, and you said it because I told you to, so your intention was different from mine. Right, and, I, okay, and, I, and, now and then I'm thinking, about, I'm thinking like, oh, I don't want to say this. <laughs> I'm saying this, exactly. you know, but exactly. that's what you're all saying. All kinds right. of stuff. Yeah, because this really, this this kind of a theory brings out a lot in a woman when she's listening to it. I think just from hearing, you know, so right, so you know, so I can just picture you going to. When will the book be done? It's done, but it's not out. Is it done? No, No, it's it's in proof. In proofs now. I don't know. Okay, so one of the things that comes out of that same thing, Marcia. Let me finish this thought and then see what happens. We know this about memory and words. If you recall a memory, you put it back into memory after you recall that what goes back is never exactly the same thing that you pulled out. We know that if you speak and read and stuff, the neurons in your brain actually change. That's why a reader who has read something in fiction in history, the brain treats it exactly the same way. So the brain is actually changing with every sentence that you read and every sentence that you write. So I cannot help 
but have been changed fantastically by putting this novel together. My awareness of women's fate is much stronger. My awareness of the failures and weakness of the men, even the strong, deadly men, you know, is is compromised. I am looking at the world as it's being destroyed. And I'm saying we have got to. So I'm changed just by my actually having written the novel. Right, that's what that's I mean, what I'm thinking. Every, right, yeah, I think that that and that is, you know, no matter who's out there listening or when they hear this, they will know that they've written stories that can definitely be something that you know they'll change. By I I think in every piece of work I've ever done, I did make some changes. You know, in my thought right. process. You know, in this yeah. book that you have here, is got a lot to think about. Oh my, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot yeah. in this that women, you well, know, let me, will read this. Yeah, let me go on. Yeah, one. Let me go on one. One more thing. The, the, the issue that I kept coming against as I got deeper into the novel was the notion of the complex character and the character complex. Yeah. In other words, as I'm writing these characters, they are changing me, and I am changing them. And so I had to incorporate that process into the actual functioning of the novel. And so what happens is Tricia goes into the novel as a character and has conversations with the characters in the novel and discovers things about them and their relationship to the author. Well, this is, see, this is another one of the metafiction things that, that comes on. But I, I want to yeah. read one last passage. Okay. And this is, again, it's about half a page, but it's just a few okay, words. Okay, fine. Go ahead. You know? No, sorry. So, Go ahead. Trisha, Trisha and Deva, Deva is the author and Trisha is the editor. And Trisha comes to Deva and she says some things and, and Deva says, are you trying to say I didn't write Citadel, Trisha? And that goes back to our very first conversation about how you just take dictation from the characters. You know, I mean, they tell you the story, get out of the way and let them tell the story. Are you saying I didn't write Citadel, Trisha? No, love. I know you wrote it, but I also know you took dictation from them. From Cursus, from Lang, from L, and from Felina. I know you wrote it, but it's their story too. And you just got the privilege of writing it down. Everything they told me made the story better. The whole story is there just as they dictated it to you. You did it, and they are jealous because they could not do it themselves. Without you, their story dies. The metaphysics of fiction are stranger than dark energy and gravity waves. Without the author, the characters stay mute and stupid. You save them with your words, and that's why I had so much to do. They are all scientists. Every daughter in every citadel you write about is a scientist, and they all speak truth, but they are lousy writers. You did what you could. No one has to know about any of this. This is the secret of the author and the editor, and every novel ever written has the same secret romance. Everyone. Without them, there is no you, Deva Isokaitis, author. Without you, there is no them. Without you, I am nothing but a crazy woman editing words for Pinnacle Books. I saved Citadel for them and for you, and you all saved me, because art is salvation, Dee, and without it, we die in darkness. It was my duty, my job, my obligation to art to save this novel. Believe me, there were times, like women in captivity, when I really thought about abandoning you. But what kind of editor would I have been then? You brought it back, Dee, this monumental mess of words that somehow sticks together. And yes, I smell the words. Sometimes I was so enraptured with the smell. 
smell I couldn't move. But always, even in despair, I saw the story. And without the story, there is nothing. We are story. Clara is publishing this novel, and we are going to New York to launch it, and we will die there. In writing this novel, you brought the world to an end. Wow. <laughs> you feel it, You feel at home there? Do you hear somebody well, named Marsha well, Cook in that? Yeah. Well, well, you <laughs> You know, well, you know, because I think this has a lot to do with when people have relationships with their editor and they're mad or, you know, whatever. And, you know, nobody can, until you've written a book, do you actually really know what happened? Even after you've written 10, sometimes you're questioning yourself, like, what am I writing? Or, you know, you know, but when you talk to your editor, you know, everybody probably wants to blame it on the other one, saying like, "Oh, I don't know if you know what you're doing, or I don't know if you know what you're doing." I quote you. On that. Everybody so, wants to blame it on the other. Right, and you've that's got these characters good. here, so that's so confusing. You know what I mean? Because they're that's what brings your books true to life. Because this is probably a lot of things. You know, that when people are reading it, they'll go like, "Oh yeah," you know, because. You know, basically, we're all different, but in some levels, we are the same. So, you know, and yeah. Uh, yeah. so I think it's a, a such an interesting piece. I mean, you know, and I'm glad you got to read it because, you know, I think people, you know, need to hear your writing because you're not the average writer. I mean, you're very, in- as I say, intense you are because you get right to the core and are not afraid, afraid at any means to say what you want, right. which a lot exactly. of authors exactly. are. They stop themselves. <clears throat> Well, you know, women, it's like a lot of women do. A lot of women go like, "Oh, should I say this? What will you yeah. know? What will yeah. like Mary Jane say that sees me at the PTA if I wrote something that's kind of in, exactly? You know, oh, that, that yeah. self-editing is killing women yeah. writers. You know, yeah, you know, oh, oh you touch on so yeah. many things when you just say that sentence. You know, yeah. what will they think of me? Yeah. You know, you know, I, when I was a kid, we lived in Sanger down in California, and, and our neighbor was uh, named Gloria Escabel, and she cut her finger deeply, really mangled her finger in a broken glass. And she came over, and we said, okay, we'll take you to the doctor. And she said, oh, no, I have to go home and change my dress first. Yeah. What? <laughs> right. She was worried about what the people would think about her, that she would have bled to death. And I think that this is what women do. I think do women do that, you know, and, and it's really it's really true. I was at uh, – beauty salon the, uh, last week and then this woman she didn't feel good and she says what well, I says I don't even know why I'm here but I'm here because I don't care I'm yeah. not I have to get my hair done you know because you know she does if she would walk in somewhere and she didn't look good then she'd probably be afraid someone would say oh look what the hell happened to her you know what I mean you know and yeah. women do things yeah. like that you know and because we talk about this a lot women sometimes dress for other women to say oh you look great today because they're noticing everything you know and yeah. so I think yeah. that you know, you've touched on a lot of things. Not being a woman, it's hard to do, but you've got, you're right, right in there because that's some of our, yeah. you know, yeah. and many have their own yeah. issues, you know. And so I yeah. think that, yeah. you know, but when you write, you know you've been in a different world. Your world. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's true. Well, you know, I think that one of the things that we have to have to to do is to say, you know, in the West, we do have power. Women do have power. You yeah. can change. And so I'm so pleased. I don't know if you know this, but in Seattle, we've elected a gay female mayor. We yeah, have a, a, a city council that I think has of the nine people, six or seven of them are women. You know, we're, we're finally getting to realize that women have to stand up you know, and take control. And they have to look at the men and say, wait a minute, you don't yeah. own me. 
You do not own this body, no matter what your goddamn Bible says or your Quran says or anything else says. You do not own this body. I own this body. And there's a whole section in Citadel that's built on that notion. You know, there are no accidental pregnancies in the Citadels. They're all by choice. And if the women choose to say no, they are able to say no. You know, and, I mean, it would be very know, interesting men, when you go out and when you go out to talk to women and and, and men and to see how they feel mm-hmm. about you know what you said, which is mm-hmm. it's such a you know right because women are happy that we've come a long way, but then on a lot of other yeah. issues, women are unhappy because we're you know thinking it should be better, you know, and I think yeah. that when people you understand what a woman is thinking and probably even more than you did with Gabriel because you're right here now you're the editor you're the in there you know what I mean when you're working with characters that you did it's not just characters they're also people that you work with yourself editors so you're there's a lot in you that you're learning about you know Absolutely. a lot of things well, by you your writing like that, say, yeah you become the writer has to become all the characters and so yeah. if I look at this book there's actually only one strong male character Caleb, who is Clara, the publisher's brother, and the rest of them are women. Well, think of what that does to a woman, if I, to a man. If I take that line that that uh, that uh, <laughs> uh, oh God, where is it that uh, Eric says? You know, says uh, one thing men hate is a woman telling them what to do. Well, here I am writing this novel, and these women are saying to me, write this, you asshole, write this, you know, <laughs> get out of it, you know, do it. Well, right. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's a very you know? interesting concept, right, because of how you get to that place, you know, but you definitely have got to that yeah. place. Yeah. And, you know, next, I'd like to have you on with David yeah. Steinberg and Sarah. It was a, I mean, because all of this is in has to do with sexuality and all the things that are, It's all germane. It's exactly, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and this yeah, it's is all and it's important it. to discuss this. Very important, yeah. and the yeah. you know no, what, I, and the fact, and the fact that we can discuss this is a really good thing. You know, um, that's because we're living in the niche. I yeah. call it the niche with a capital and, N. You know, right. you have an <laughs> well, education, I, you own your business, you own, your, you know, on and on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ahead, and sorry. it's true. You know, it's like you know, you have there. We have freedoms, so this is a good thing to keep yeah. our freedoms. Because just like yep, exactly. you know, listening to everything you said, it, it's it, you know, life is about hope too. You know, so and I'm I'm so glad yeah. that I hear. Oh wait, somebody is. I, I'm gonna. All right, I think I'm gonna see if somebody wants to come on. Okay, is that okay? okay. Ask you a question. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, and if, if I have to, um, we'll see how it goes. Hi, you're listening to Marcia and Jack. Hi, did you have a question? Oh uh, yeah, I was just thinking oh, uh, more of a statement that if uh, that if women ran everything, the whole world would be more fucked up than what it is. Say that again. I missed that. No, I think we're going to take a pass on on his okay. words. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's okay. what. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so, see, this yeah. is well. Let me read you. Let well, me you read go. you a, a piece from one, one of my beta readers said. Um, if I had written this, I would be accused of being a man-hater, but you won't get that criticism because you're a man. However, there's this new movement of sensitivity readers, editors, who help people write unoffensive things about people they are not, and I wonder if they would attack you just for the chance of attack. It will be interesting to watch how this unfolds. So I expect whatever he said, 
you know, to yes. be part of the whole <laughs> right. uh, response. Well, they're right. I mean, right. right. And that's, you know, that's called a live show. Yeah, because it, it is an intense, uh, you know, piece. But, you know, you write that way and you're so descript. I mean... I don't know anybody that writes like you. That's why, you know, you're on the show a lot because you you aren't afraid to say what, you know, and I think yeah. it's a good thing. And I do think that the more people face their fears, we'll have a better world. And, uh, you're, and you know, yeah. your characters yeah. are facing the fears, you know, and saying, yeah. well, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going for it. Yep. So, you know, yep. Yep. I, on that note, Jack, they can find you, uh, you want it on your website, right? JackRemick.com. Are you right? there? Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. And yes, we all said exactly. they can find you. Your books are on Amazon. And, on Amazon um, and A Libris and everything. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your uh, every book um, right. you write well, look, is completely different. <laughs> I hope every, so. Yeah. It is, okay. It well, is thank you, Marcia, for having right, thank me. Thank you on. so much for coming on, and thank you all for listening. Have uh-huh. a good night. Very good. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.